My name is David Hershkovitz. I'm the founder of Paper Magazine, and this is Light Culture. Listen, learn, and stay ahead of the curve as I knock heads with cultural disruptors of the past, present, and future. Light Culture is brought to you by Burb, the Vancouver-based cannabis brand. If you have a picture in mind of what a typical stoner looks like, Brett Heyman is here to prove you wrong. Married, a mother, she is the founder of the irreverent handbag company, Edie Parker, and the cannabis and smoking accessories brand, Flower by Edie Parker. A red carpet regular who has her home featured in Architectural Digest, she's worked for fashion brands like Gucci and Dolce & Gabbana. While the rest of the fashion world sits on the sidelines of cannabis, Brett has made it her crusade from both a personal as well as a social advocacy point of view. Dubbed the Coco Chanel of luxury cannabis by Forbes, the Brentwood, California native continues to literally make a statement by incorporating words like weed and dope into the design of her bags. For a good time, call Edie Parker. Is her brand ethos. So that's what I did. I called Brett Heyman and she agreed to be on my show. So welcome, Brett Heyman. Thank you, David. That was the best introduction. Can you send me a copy of that? I feel like <laughs> sure. everything I ever want to say. <laughs> I'd be happy to. So you say that your uh, collection is an uh, ode to finally bringing fun, a cheeky sense of humor, and a much needed sartorial mindset to a new generation of cannabis smokers. So you seem to be the representative of all of that yourself. So are you your ultimate customer? I mean, I think that's how everything starts, right? It's why I started Edie Parker originally, you know, 10 plus years ago, because I had collected these vintage handbags my whole life. I had always been thrifting in high school and I couldn't find them. So that's how it starts. And then obviously, eventually the collection evolves to a little bit more than just my tunnel vision. But yeah, with cannabis, my husband is the one that sort of reintroduced me to it. When we got married, you know, our first date, we went back, we had lunch at Peter Luger's our first date. And then we went back to his apartment and (laughs) we smoked cannabis and watched Almost Famous and then never split after that. So he sort of got me back into it. And then when legalization was like such a thing in California and Colorado, we would go to dispensaries. It just, nothing spoke to me at a brand level and certainly not an accessory level. And as I got more into this world, I thought like, wow, I'd love to, like, I'm going to my friend's house for a dinner party. I don't want to bring a bottle of wine. And like, I know she loves cannabis, but like, there's nothing I'd want to bring her. There's nothing to buy for around the same price as a bottle of wine. That would be fun. So that's kind of how it started, filling a need that I identified and saw, and certainly the girls in my office who, by and large, all of them smoke cannabis. So it started as something very personal that we wanted to fill and then has grown since. But you grew up yourself in California, right? When it was legalized first, was in the 90s? Were you, was that when you started smoking or how did that evolve? So I graduated high school in 1998, came back east for college and sort of never went back. And honestly, like I smoked weed in in high school, but really not well. I mean, I just sort of always, I was a bit of a hedon, right? So like I was young and I was trying to be rebellious. So like I drank too much if I drank, I smoked too much if I smoked and I didn't have a great relationship with cannabis. I think I'm like so into legalization because I really like knowing the doses, knowing how much I should smoke. What is the THC percentage? I never knew any of that. Someone would hand me an apple or a can and I would smoke and I would be kind of a disaster. So I like cannabis much more as an adult than I did as a teenager. 
You mentioned your husband, and I know from my research that he is also an investor in the cannabis space as well. So that seems to be working out for both of you. I mean, I don't know. Have you, seen the, have you seen the cannabis markets lately? <laughs> I don't know how much it's working out. But for him, it's just something that he really loves. And so he started dabbling in it professionally in 2015 and, and now devotes all his time to it. And he, you know, is constantly visiting grows and just is seeing the coolest things happen. So he's really into it. And just is, you know, biding his time. I think we all feel like, obviously, this is a matter of time when this is federally going to be legal, but who knows when. Right, because, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that could happen between now and then, and just getting anything done in the Congress seems to be insurmountable at this point. But when you started your business coming out of vintage bags that you were collecting, you wanted to go out and start your own handbag line, but you've talked about the learning curve. You did have experience, right, about fashion. You were in the PR side of the business, I understand, at Gucci and elsewhere. So you had some idea of what you were getting into, but what didn't you understand at the time? I certainly knew my market, that's true. Like I was covering accessories for years. I knew a lot of buyers. I knew a lot of stylists and all the people that helped me build that business originally. But what I didn't know, I just didn't have any idea existed. Like I didn't know product development and production were such crucial roles. And I didn't have them at the beginning of my business for years. And things like logistics, I just wasn't aware of them. And so I thought I was really good at like sort of design and, and marketing and PR. And I am good at all those things, but really bad at everything else and didn't even know to ask. And so with cannabis, it was sort of like the same learning where I knew I had to ask everything. I did not think I was an expert on anything cannabis. Um, and, you know, we went at it on our own in California and that's so difficult. I mean, it's so, so challenging. California to begin with is so complicated and, and sort of all of these more like heritage markets are so complicated. Um, but now as we focus more east of the Mississippi, we've partnered with Ascend Wellness Holdings because they're good at all the things we're not good at, right? Like we focus on design and marketing and packaging quality, but they have access to really good flour. They have access to really good dispensaries. They own really good dispensaries. So I think in any business, it's just finding a complement to the things that you're not good at is the only way you'll be successful. But it's interesting that you say that because you may not be surprised to hear about all the regulation issues and everything around something that's constantly moving as well. It's changing. It's whimsical. And people think it's for the money and so on. But there's probably lots of easier ways to make money at this point right now. Oh, my God. First of all, I think it's really hard to make money in cannabis. There's this great line about the fashion business where you need a big fortune to make a little one in fashion. And I think cannabis is similar. And this is the benefits of having a partner. The regulations from state to state are so insane. And it would be so capital intensive to try to do anything on your own. Little ridiculous things that we find out every day. And we're consulting with legal all the time and compliance people. But, you know, packaging regulations in terms of just colors from state to state being so different. Obviously, the language on every state has to be different in every state. Rules that are like so out, like I never would have considered, but we just found out in Massachusetts. And I don't even know if this is true. We're confirming it. But you can't sell accessories and flour from the same brand in a single dispensary. Why? No idea. I think that people get into it because it seems fun. People legitimately love cannabis and it makes people's lives better. So I support all of that. It's obviously the biggest job creator in this country. It created $3 billion of tax revenue last year. So I understand the appeal, but I think it's, we've got a long way to go until people are easily making money. 
So would you do it differently if you were starting out again now and knowing what you know, would you still want to do it? Totally. Totally. I mean, look, it's not easy to sell a thousand dollar handbag either. Nothing is easy. If things were easy, then everybody would do them. Obviously, like the things that are most challenging are, are the most worthwhile if you can be successful. But I think we have a lot of um, advantages and I think we have some first mover advantages. But I also think you don't always get credit for being early. And I hope that we can just hang on. Lots of products that people can make and sell. But the ones who wind up in cannabis either have a history with cannabis that brought them closer to the product. You know, product doesn't seem to quite sum it up because it has this aura and all this legacy and all this history and all this connection to some to the earth and wellness and plants and, you know, all these things that are very important. Is that a good description of you and why you're still involved? Look, I'm involved in cannabis. I don't grow plants in my backyard. And I'm into cannabis because I think cannabis makes everybody's life better. I think women have been so neglected in this business, both like at a leadership perspective and when people talk to consumers. So for me, it's how do we talk to women in this business in a meaningful, legitimate way? I think when you talk about women coming to cannabis to deal with like menstrual cramps, I talk constantly about sex and cannabis, how much better cannabis makes sex and being married as many years as I'm married and three kids later, like we need help like that. (laughs) So that's what I'm attracted to. Obviously, I think there are people who are like, esoteric strain people and and real botanists. That is not me. We never pretend to be that way. I'm not like that at all. And I think that this business will not look the way it looks in five years, obviously. A lot of these like little brands will consolidate. And I think there will be more people and, and as more states legalize that are growing and selling smaller amounts out of their house, whatever it is. So I think we just don't know what it looks like, but I certainly, we're very honest about our participation in it. But you're targeting women. And in other words, is that what you're saying as far as your customer goes? We are targeting women. What we're finding, we were in Boston two weeks ago. I was in Chicago this past weekend. The team was in Southern Illinois. We are finding that a lot more men are actually trying us than we thought. They're sort of like attracted to the packaging. They're attracted to all of our brand messaging. It's an attractive price point for the SKUs that we're selling in those markets. So we're surprised about how many men are are discovering us. Are you talking about when you, which product are you talking about then? The design products or the cannabis products? No, product? I mean the actual. So in Massachusetts and Illinois, we're only in market with what we call our best bud pre-roll pack. So it's a two pack of, of half gram joints and they're $20 and they're in like beautiful fun packaging and they're great quality flower and like, you know, won't get you too high. So while we targeted women and that our idea is to be the safe, comfortable female cannabis brand, we are surprised that as many men are enjoying us as they are. So what do you do? You do research with regard to women? And, and is that an approach that you're into? Or is it more like just gut instinct to try to find out what do women really want? Freud's famous question. Right, exactly. Impossible. <laughs> no, I wish I could say that like we have like a whole R&D team and we are like, you know, so well researched. We're not. Again, as I said, we're 10 women in our office. And so it's like, what do we want? What do we feel is missing? What are we missing from this experience? When we go to a dispensary, what's missing? When we're looking for, whether it's an edible, a joint, a tincture, what are we missing? And so that's sort of how it starts. And we have a lot of friends. And so we just do research in that way. So would you carry it to the next level? Because I was having this conversation with someone else who's in the the business about the cannabis lounge. And there's lounges here in New York, you may or may not have been to, I, I have. And for the most part, they're male. 
They're mostly guys sitting in couches. And, you know, so we, we were talking about, well, how are we going to open this lounge? What do you think is a good idea? And I said, well, I think you should have women running it because that'll change the vibe. And of course, other women will feel safer and more comfortable going there knowing if there's a woman as part of it. So are you looking ahead as well for potentially creating spaces that are run by women to inviting women in to enjoy whether it's a lounge in New York or whether it's a lounge in California or anywhere like that? We're really excited about New York. You know, I'm a New Yorker, so I think it's the center of fashion and culture and hospitality, all these experiences. So I think there's no reason to think that it's not going to be the center of cannabis and be incredible. I think in an ideal world, we'd love to have a cannabis lounge or we'd love to have a dispensary. Absolutely. That's exactly what you're saying. Like feel safe, inviting, feminine, all those things. But because I just think we're so far from that and we don't even know, like we keep checking, like what are the rules going to be? How do we even apply for any of these things? It's not something that's really top of mind, but we're certainly aware of it. And I think whether it's us or somebody else, I think that will absolutely be the future in cannabis. With women run spaces, you mean like spaces designed more for the women in mind as opposed to other, you know, regular what they're doing now, because you go in, you know, these places are very sterile and in many cases, they're almost required to be that way. Like you said, in California, there are certain things you can't do. The company I work with, Burb, they're based in Canada and Vancouver, where similar what you were saying earlier, they have a clothing line as well, and they weren't allowed to sell it in the same space as the dispensary. Now I think things are easing up around that because they they don't want to promote the cannabis as a lifestyle thing. There's this whole issue around making it attractive or glamorous. You know, it has to be kind of like boring. It's like, okay, you can sell it if you keep it really boring. Terrible. Just, yeah. So fashion is one of the reasons I really wanted to talk with you. You're kind of perfect in some respects for me because you do come from the fashion world. And I've always wanted to talk to somebody in the fashion world because there aren't that many who have actually seen this opportunity and taken advantage of it. And I'm sure there's plenty of people who smoke, right? So you've talked about fashion. You've said, I'll quote here, fashion can be frivolous. But when you look throughout history, it's a marker of a moment in time. It's really important in helping remove the shame from all those years of prohibition. Fashion is at its best when we are acknowledging something happening culturally. And I am really proud to be part of it and this movement. So what is it with the fashion world? Do you feel like you worked at Gucci, for example? If you were sitting there now, would you say, yeah, let's sponsor an event with cannabis, let's say. Totally. Absolutely. Yes? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think like fashion, first of all, I love that quote. Thank you. I mean, it's like, it's just like, I love everything. I don't know, remember what you said. I know, right? of course. I say stuff like that all the time, but you say it nicely. I always joke whenever I give an interview when it was just about handbags that life is serious. Your accessories don't have to be. And I feel like there is that frivolity where it's like, we get it. We're making an acrylic handbag with a saying on it. But it is, you know, as I said, at its best, you look back and it reflects these moments in culture that are really, really significant. Whatever is happening in cannabis is really, really significant. Fashion's like, it's a little slow to embrace what's happening in culture in terms of models of color and designers of color and spotlighting whatever's happened in America, at least in the past three years. 
And I think you can't talk about criminal justice reform and equal opportunities without talking about cannabis and how it's like cannabis prohibition has been so harmful to these communities of color. So yeah, I think in the way that Gucci brilliantly started working with Dapper Dan, working in cannabis or sponsoring something or just being involved in the cannabis, which is like taking a stand to say, hey, this is a plant. This is something that has helped with health and wellness forever and does all these good things. Also, is super fun. I think that would be really powerful if somebody who was like a big corporation did that. Is there anyone doing that to your knowledge? I mean, I have not seen it. No, I think it's really complicated. I think most of these companies are owned by Europeans, obviously, where cannabis is less happening. And I think that having a federally illegal business that you can't bank, I mean, the fact that like safe's not even happening now would be really challenging for a big company to get behind in a meaningful way. I think that obviously when that changes, then obviously the floodgates will open, but we're just not there. Right. Back in the day, I remember when people started to bootleg the logos of Gucci or Chanel and, you know, use them on t-shirts and then they caught up and then eventually they like Dapper Dan. So then they hired these people to actually do collabs with them yeah. like today, but also with regard to the cannabis, I could see people starting to put out a brand with a Gucci logo on it that will just be out there and, and try to stop them, you know? So do you feel that that one day there will be something like that or beverages and all those products as well? I do. I certainly think and I hope that like cannabis will eventually be a brand game. There will be brands. There will be the Levi's of cannabis, the Gucci of cannabis, the Grey Goose of cannabis, the XOC, <laughs> right? I mean, there will be brands that people recognize and trust and, and mean a certain something about you. And I think that like brands like Gucci will get involved in cannabis. When it is federally legal, it will be a totally different animal. That's what I mean about like, we're not going to recognize it. I think it's going to look so different. And like everything, it will be a commodity that people will complain about and lament about the times when it wasn't like this, but it, it's going to happen. And yeah, I think of course there will be bootleg Gucci and Chanel cannabis brands. And, you know, I just hope that those people don't get sued because you do not want to go up against those brands. Yeah, right. No, you don't. You're a very playful and hip woman involved in this cannabis space. You also epitomize the luxury lifestyle for a lot of people, certainly in the media. Like I mentioned, your house is fabulous. Where are you residing now in, in New York? or I live in New York City, yeah. And your house in Connecticut that I saw pictures yep. of. So it's a different world than maybe a lot of people who are just experiencing cannabis in the way they always did with their friends or small groups and not really going out in those runway situations where they get photographed by Patrick McMullen and people like that. So what impact has going public with cannabis affected your personal brand? Did you feel any weirdness from, from those society folks that when you started being identified with cannabis in this public way? No, certainly. And I knew the potential implications and just decided early that I wouldn't care. I think the only thing that was slightly negative, I mean, certainly some people have like been really nasty on the Instagram and stopped following us or said like they hate weed and we used to be so cute and blah, blah, blah. But that's to be expected. I think there is definitely some confusion when we launched. It was like, hey, you make these really expensive handbags and now you're selling pot. There was a lot of explaining and then when we kind of talked about it and when we talk about cannabis being a lifestyle and, and like the, just another like sort of accessory for us and, and these really considered branded moments, then people would think like, oh, that's really cool. And I think what 
we liked is that I think our participation and like having a store on Madison Avenue when we launched Flower by Edie Parker was like really, I think, impactful in this conversation of destigmatization, normalization. You had these really sort of like fancy old ladies who had been shopping in Edie Parker for all the years we were there. And they would come in and be like, oh, I used to smoke cannabis. And there was a safety. Like we've been a brand for all these years that makes high quality products that they trusted. And so there wasn't a fear around cannabis and they were buying the accessories. And then like slowly but surely, and what happened to us recently, which was really exciting, was like grownups would start buying for their adult children. They would buy accessories and they would buy it as gifts. And I think like these are small personal victories for me, but I think that's all part of what has to happen in order to get to the next phase. Yeah, because I feel like you're a pioneer in, in that respect because people like you have not really taken a leadership position in this cannabis industry as far as I know. I mean, there's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of important people who involved in lending their way to try to get the stigmatization. In fact, someone I had on my show was suggesting that there was going to be a pushback from the right wing or Christian conservatives, perhaps, however you want to brand them, with regard to this is what the communists want us to make weed legal, because then everybody will be weak and then they can come in and take over. So that's what I'm saying. Things are still out there. So silly. I mean, some people theorize because obviously like we've stalled in the Congress in progress because I think on the left, we want to make sure that we tackle criminal and social justice reform in these bills. And I think that some people speculate that if there's a Republican Congress and a Republican Senate, they're just going to care about creating the tax revenues and it's not going to get held up as much because they're not going to be bothered by the social justice piece and they'll probably push it through. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, there is a somewhat of agreement on both sides. It's not a one-sided issue right now. I mean, I joke all the time that cannabis legalization has more bipartisan support than Biden does. I mean, like, I think like everybody's <laughs> into it. Yeah. And Biden isn't, though. That's the, that's the problem. Because he's a little older. Yeah, well, yeah, because he still remembers all those horror stories. So you're still able to feel comfortable walking the red carpet and the society world. When you go to those events or parties, do you take out a joint or is it much more common for other people to do that in your presence, whether it's in the private homes or more public settings? I mean, I appreciate that you think I'm hipper than I am. I'm not walking <laughs> a lot of red carpets, but thank you. As an example, I mean, I was at the CFDA Awards a couple weeks ago, which I guess was pretty hip, but I did not walk the carpet. There was a long line. It didn't seem worth it. <laughs> but I was sitting at a table with some very fancy, influential fashion and culture people. And I, mostly for shock value, <laughs> took out a bunch of joints and lit them up and started passing them around my table. And, you know, one very famous stylist literally looked at me and he goes, calm down, weed girl. Um, but he made it all <laughs> good fun. And I think people, honestly, like, I think people are always excited. I just think cannabis is, I like to say all the time, it just makes people feel better. And so I think people thought it was kind of cheeky and funny and they were psyched to have some. And I got to get a kick out of being a little rascally like that. Yeah, well, bravo. I'm glad you did that. That's great to hear. And especially... You know, with the strains, I mean, you said you weren't necessarily that's your specialty, but that is a craft area. And I know you've worked with Flocana, which is one of those organizations that represents the legacy growers in Humboldt County, where everything is grown in a, organically and with small farms. Are you still working with them? We're not. We are not really focused that much in California anymore, just because it's so complicated. We look at California a little bit, I think, in retail terms. So California is like a 
prestige boutique door to me right now. Like a couple people that we work with, we do indoor flower now and we like to have a presence there because we have customers there, but we're focused east of the Mississippi. And I think we, we try to come back and tackle California again, but maybe with a different partner. But doesn't your husband come home and say, I've, I've tried this amazing stuff. You should really try it. It's like this whatever from wherever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. He's constantly oh, bringing stuff home, but it's not easy. I mean, it's a complicated, complicated business. So he had particularly, we were working with Locana. I mean, he had farms that were his absolute favorite, but people have their brands that they like to work with and these old time established relationships. And it's a funny business up there. Well, like you said, people may not know, even though it's understood, but you can't really ship cannabis from California to New York. You know, you can't move the product across state lines legally because it's not national, as we were talking about earlier. So that creates a problem, obviously, if you want to sell California cannabis in New York, it's, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. They have to get it illegally, basically, the way the good old fashioned way. So how important are celebrities in the cannabis space? For you with the bags, the handbags, celebrities wore it often. It had a, a very fun bag that people would notice on the runway. So you would get a lot of attention because of that. Are you able to utilize that in the cannabis space as well? Yeah, I mean, I think some of the advantages that we've had in this space are these well-established relationships with celebrities and tastemakers, et cetera. So I think that celebrities are important because I think they're really important for destigmatization, right? I think anytime a celebrity publicly comes out as a smoker, like a Justin Bieber, like a Casey Musgraves, a Chelsea Handler, I think that's really important in moving this cause forward. Do I think it's beneficial when celebrities front cannabis brands? No, I don't think anybody really cares. But I think for us, like, it's happened really organically because we've had these relationships. So people that we've already been making bags for or selling bags to will text us or DM us and be like, oh my God, I can't believe you guys make flour. That's amazing. I would love to try it. And so you have people again, like a Casey Musgraves who are real smokers and they love the product and they love the accessories. And so I think they're inclined to naturally promote it. And that's been helpful. It's certainly not the same because not everybody is willing to be public about their cannabis use. But I think that it's just, again, it's important to the conversation to be like, look at all these really high functioning, successful people who smoke and they're not the typical, as you said, which it's like a, such a ridiculous stereotype, but this stoner stereotype where like you're going to get high and sit on a couch all day. It's just couldn't be further from the truth. No, it, uh, we know that. Design is an interesting subject as well around this. And I know you have a lot of your products are really design products that are sold somewhat in the cannabis direction, right? So I always have been thinking about that as well, of what the future might look like in the sense of design. Because if you, you know, let's say New York and everybody goes legal, everybody's going to be smoking much more casually than they did before. At the same time, there's this whole psychedelic revolution going on. And as we can think back to the 60s and the whole psychedelic era and all the design products, that came out around that, whether it was tie dye or, you know, the, the clothes and people putting stuff on their clothes, just sort of changing the perception of what they wanted to look like, feeling freer about that. So, you know, I'm imagining what is a design store going to look like where it's not just 
cannabis oriented. So it's not another ashtray, but it could be a lamp. It could be a curtain. It could be just a graphic design. So do you imagine that that's also something that going to be coming down the road, just stores that are designed with the idea of, of the cannabis or psychedelic user in mind, but it's not necessarily products, you know, lighters and things like that. All of Scooby-Doo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's kind of where we try to live now. I mean, there's obviously some products that are like specific cannabis products, but I think the intersection that we like to play in when we talk about this, like fashion meets flower, is taking something like a fruit pipe, right? So we make our beautiful fruit pipes and we make them juicy enough and oversized so that even if you're not a smoker, here's an object that you could really like happily receive as a present, gift as a present, display in your home, even if you're not even aware of the bowl or ever going to use the bowl. Just having items like an acrylic multicolor stash box where everything is designed and for our cannabis products to fit in there, you know, like our little pre-roll tin and a lighter and et cetera. But you could use it for anything. You can use it for pencils. You can use it for clips. So I think the hybrid of here's smoking objects, but they're beautiful, considered, well-made design objects is going to be more and more. And I think there will be, not to talk about my own brand, but our whole brand ethos is like, take a category that people historically hide in the back of a drawer. And what does that look like if you're making it so that it can be totally displayed and like you'd be really proud of? So a $700 hand-blown glass bong that we made in partnership with a friend of mine as an artist. I don't even smoke out of mine ever. It's used as like a beautiful <laughs> vase centerpiece in my house. So I think that will happen more and more. Just these like really considered items that are multi-use and meant to be displayed and, you know, showed off. Yeah, I mentioned your mom, you have three children and the issue of cannabis in the home comes up quite a bit, even with my friends and people who have children constantly struggling with this, how to handle that habit that they have, or I don't know, habit, but it's the right word, but you know, they're, um, you know, used to smoking, but now we can't smoke at home. Let's say they don't have an out a, a yard. What do you do? And how do you handle this whole question? Do you tell them that you smoke? Do you not tell them that things are a little easier now? One of my guests, Frenchie Cannoli, who was this master of hash making, was telling me how when he had his daughter in California going to school, that he couldn't smoke around her because in those days, they would question the children about what was going on in the home. And if they said that their parents were smoking weed, they could be removed from the home. Wow. They could actually lose their children. So his daughter didn't know until she was in college. Right. Yeah, weirdly, I mean, my eldest is 12, but even when I gave birth, my OBGYN was saying, she would ask questions pre-birth, like, do you drink alcohol? Do you smoke cannabis? Obviously not when I was pregnant, but she was like, I don't know what the point was of assessing this at some point, but yes, I drink alcohol. When she said, do you smoke cannabis? I said, yes. And she said, I'm going to leave that blank. I'm not going to say yes, because if you say yes, when you give birth, child service is going to come and question. And this was only like, my youngest is five. So it's like, you know, it's even, it's still a crazy thing. Look, I recognize that we're privileged to be in this business at this time because 
there's no fear for us. And we drink alcohol and we've always drunk alcohol in front of our children. So we talk about cannabis in the exact same way, which is to say that like, there is a legal age, there is like a certain amount that is responsible. And here are the things that we will do when we drink alcohol or smoke cannabis and here are the things we won't. And we talk about obviously the war on drugs and the war on these communities of color. We sort of try to make them aware of everything that's happening. But we live in New York City. We've got New York City kids. The whole city smells like weed. You know, we're, we're not ashamed of this at all. So we talk to them about it like people. And the age of your customer, your average customer, is that a factor as well? Are they young? Totally runs the gamut. We have a lot of younger people buying accessories and we have a lot of much like surprisingly older people, as I said, buying things for themselves, for their kids. A lot of these, you know, my favorite expression are those boomerangs, the people that used to smoke cannabis when they were younger and then put it away and now they're rediscovering it again. So we really run the gamut with age. We always have, honestly. Yeah. So what's that about? So many people say, oh yeah, it makes me paranoid, blah, blah, blah. That was because of what had happened sometime when they were in college. And then they stopped, but now they feel more comfortable and ready to do it or just less hysterical. Yeah, well, I think like, again, I think legalization, like you have this beautiful dispensary space wherever people are shopping. You've got the bud tenders telling you all about what kind of high you're going to get here, what's going to make you not paranoid, explaining different strains and brands that they like. I think it's just a less intimidating experience and it feels much safer. And, you know, even my own father who never would have smoked when I was growing up, I mean, like so anti-drugs, so afraid of any drugs. Now he like, you know, goes to California, he goes to a dispensary, it helps him sleep. It's, it's great. It's so helpful. But, but the health and wellness side of it, you're not really involved with from the business perspective, right? Because it's just not interesting to you. It's not that it's not interesting to me. Obviously, I very much think it's great and I am not a great sleeper, so I like it for that. And I I didn't know I was anxious until I started going to therapy about five years ago. And turned out I was super anxious and it's helpful. It's just that I don't like to have the same conversation that everybody else is having. So I think a lot of the brands on the market are a lot of the brands that maybe women were involved in talked a lot about health and wellness and they talked about things that like people were already talking about. So for me... I love cannabis also because I think it's fun. And I think like, unlike alcohol, which like desensitizes you, it makes you feel everything really nicely. And so again, like if I'm going to have sex, I think having a little cannabis is great for that. So I just want to show a different side of it. We make irreverent accessories. And so I think this like for a good time ethos that we've always had in our accessories really translates to how we use cannabis and love cannabis. So I'm not discounting the health and wellness. I think that's great, but I think it's not the only thing. I think like a recreational user who just likes to get high is great. But with regard to women, though, that's where the market is supposedly directed, right? Because they talk about as a way to get women into cannabis is through health and wellness and CBD. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. I think like a lot of the growth and a lot of the research supports that and talks about, again, menstrual cramps being like a big thing. But I think it's still really early and it's just the beginning. And I think more women are, are going to be like me, just the way they are. Those Chardonnay moms that people like to talk about. Like, I think like having a little bit of cannabis as a mom to just like take a little bit of an edge off or like have fun with your girlfriends. That's coming. That's, that's going to be Cali sober. Exactly. Although I am New York drunk. <laughs> All right. New York drunk. Well, thank you very much, Brett, for being on my show today. This was, was so really fun, fun, David. You're really, you're great. I really appreciate uh, had a time. good time. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Light Culture. 
You can find us at shopburb.com, like culture, or at like culture podcast. Thanks again to Burb. You can follow them at shopburb on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to and review the show. If you would like to get in touch, reach out to me directly at David Reporting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.